Welcome to Lillipod episode 93, All Hallows' Eve and Spirituality. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Welcome, LilyPod listeners, to another episode of LilyPod, and we have kind of a fun topic uh, tonight, All Hallows' Eve and Spirituality is the title of this episode, and we want to begin by talking about the origins of Halloween, and the reason we're doing this is lots of people talk about how Halloween is a devil's Sabbath or it celebrates evil, and we think that is kind of missing the the point. Halloween originated about 3,000 years ago, uh, and it was called the Celtic Festival of Samhain. Samhain literally means November. And it was, uh, in Celtic beliefs, that was the night, October 31st was the night when the earth changed from the light part of the year into the dark part of the year. And there was a sense of of gateway, a time between times, kind of a place between places, that it was uh, that it was a time of transition. And at such times of transition, they believed that, the dead uh, in spirit form were walking the earth. And the idea of uh, dressing up and going out to perform mischief was a Celtic, you know, idea um, that these spirits were wandering around and, you know, meddling and all kinds of things. But they also believed that Samhain was a time when they could receive revelation that uh, am I going to have a good harvest or a bad harvest? Who am I going to marry? Am I going to meet somebody that I'm going to marry in the next year? You know, all those kinds of things. And they believed that they had greater access to the spiritual realm at Samhain and, and that they could receive revelation uh, on various important things in their lives. Uh, also, Samhain was a time when, you know, the harvest was pretty much in by then. And once you had harvested everything you, you could, uh, you were done. You couldn't get more. And they felt very vulnerable to the forces of, of nature. Uh, how long of a winter is it going to be? Are we going to be able to survive it? And if we do, Will we be able to go on next spring and summer to grow another crop? And you can see the the worry that they would have if they lived in colder climates like in Ireland. And so 
there was also a sense of, of celebrating and being thankful for uh, the harvest that they had and, you know, saying certain prayers and things for, uh, for survival through the dark months. So that's kind of where the holiday originated. Now, when the Catholic Church came in to Ireland, uh, Pope Gregory uh, told them to, to not eliminate the pagan uh, symbols and rituals, but to sort of Christianize them. So in other words, if a bunch of Druids were meeting around a tree, um, they would uh, not cut the tree down. The, the Catholic Church would not cut the tree down. They would consecrate it to Christ and tell people to continue meeting there as they always did. And they would sort of Christianize what was already there. And so they looked at Samhain and said, uh, this is a, a night when they believe that the spirits of the dead are wandering the earth. Let's use that as the day to celebrate all the saints that don't have a holiday of their own, like St. Valentine has his own, or St. Patrick has his own. Well, they, they decided that uh, Samhain would be uh, um, all, saints all Saints Day. And and that all saints that didn't have a holiday could could have one through through that that we could celebrate them all at once, and beyond that, uh, they they called the night before uh, All Saints Day, which is uh, October thirty first, All Hallows Eve, and that ultimately morphed into you know, the words were put together and it ended up being Halloween. And so that's... I wonder if like some kid out there one day said he couldn't say Al Hallows Eve. So he said Halloween and they're like, let's just go with that. Right. <laughs> like kids do sometimes. Right. And uh, certain things have, have sort of long bedeviled the holiday. The idea of playing tricks and getting involved in mischief and that wasn't really the original intent. It was to celebrate all of the, the saints and in a way to honor the dead. And that was true when it was Samhain. And it was true during the Catholic interval where, where they came in and sort of took over the holiday, renamed it. It still was, a, was involved in celebrating those who have gone before and uh, and realizing their importance. So it, it isn't, it never was designed to be a devil's Sabbath. I mean, there may be people who think of it like that. Um, when we came to America uh, in Puritan New England, for example, uh, they didn't like Halloween because you know how the Puritans were. They were opposed to superstition and they thought of Halloween as too pagan and too Catholic. And so they didn't celebrate it at all. Uh, conversely, in Virginia and the other southern colonies, uh, they were Anglicans down there, and they, uh, they were a lot more Catholic than the Puritans, for sure. And so they celebrated uh, Halloween, and they did all kinds of stuff, like adult costume parties and bobbing for apples and other party games. 
uh, some of which we would recognize today. And so ultimately it, it uh, you know, it took hold in America and maybe we'll get into that more later, but um, talking about Samhain and all of those things associated with it and then the Catholic holidays that followed, we want to say, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, even with the scary part of Halloween. You know, and, and in saying that, we also, of course, want to protect ourselves and our children from truly evil influences. Right. But that doesn't mean we have to throw out the entire holiday and all the good things, especially the part that can be even spiritual in nature and help us to connect with our dead ancestors. Right. And I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, folklorist Jack Santorini says that, you know, if you, if your neighbors put out the kind of decorations that many put out on Halloween at any other time of year, people would call the police. And of course that's, uh, because it's playing with the ideas that scare us. You know, you see people hanging up rubber, um, uh, decorations that look like a severed limb or, you know, skeletons and things like that. And, but I think it is about playing with the things that scare us and kind of working through and deal directly with those emotions. And in a way, turning what we're afraid of into to a sort of lighthearted fun to, to, to make it a, a thing to party about rather than a thing to fear. And, and, I, I do think maybe there is a part of us, a part of human psychology that needs that, that needs to be able to deal with those troubling ideas directly, the things that scare us, but to do it in a ritualized way. We can do it one night a year and it's, you know, it's a, a way to experience something different uh, for that one night a year, but it, it you know, it's it's that rather than making it a a lot, uh, year long obsession, for example. Well, and Jennifer Finlayson Fife, um, who we've interviewed here on our podcast and she great, gave some great advice. I believe we called it wisdom for mid singles. Right. <clears throat> anyway. Um, she talks a lot on her own, um, platform about she, cause she's a, she's a really popular LDS sex therapist and, you know, she she believes in role playing, you know, sexy roles as a married partner. Um, and it doesn't make you sexually deviant to do that with in within a marriage. And it doesn't. And kids who are young and they're playing cops and robbers it, as kids, it doesn't make them grow up and become robbers. Right. They're just playing with a, a fantasy role in that situation. Right. And I think that relates to this in that it, when we deal with things that scare us at Halloween, and it helps us kind of come to terms with them in a lighthearted and fun way. It doesn't mean that we're devil worshipers. It doesn't mean that we're evil or that we're dealing with evil things. It means we're dealing with this natural scariness of human life. Right. So anyway, I think I thought that was a kind of an interesting point to make there. Yeah, there are uh, many, tra many traditions, including uh, Buddhism, uh, and, and the ancient um, Samhain rituals of the Celts. Um, right. Yeah, they were designed to commune with ancestors who'd passed on. Right. And if you, you know, if you go to China or if you went there, you know, at least prior to the Cultural Revolution, you would see uh, ancestor worship. 
And while we don't believe in worshiping our ancestors, we believe in maintaining a relationship that our, the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children, as it says in Malachi. So we believe in having that connection with the, with the dead, and we ritualize that as well uh, in our temples to give us an opportunity to serve as proxy for those people that are, are disembodied. And, you know, there's nothing ghoulish or strange about it. It's, it's trying to do something good for those that have gone before us. Uh, I think that it would be a mistake, really, to let this holiday pass by and not ponder that a little bit. You know, who has gone before me that uh, may be wanting to accept the gospel or, uh, you know, learning the stories of some of those people and what their lives were like? And, and I think in a way, when we do that, we, we form a little connection with, with them, and it's a healthy thing for us. Well, you know, and unfortunately, Western culture has kind of morphed into this teaching of being afraid of ghosts and other spiritual manifestations as it be as it being something to fear um and so that makes halloween sometimes more scary than comforting um, but when we think of <clears throat> the way we use temples to commune with our deceased loved ones and as a sacred opportunity to do proxy work for them it um it is a lot different spirit in which we experience that than I think what sometimes we think of Halloween is. Yeah. And I think really it's kind of an apostate doctrine that we need to be afraid of ghosts and that the spirits of the dead are coming back to haunt us and things like that. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of spirits out there, uh, but I think many of them are good kind, uh, were good people during their lives. And so that, that part of Halloween that tries to make us afraid of the supernatural and afraid of the spirits of the dead, that part of, of Halloween, I think uh, we should take that with a grain of salt. Maybe we're still dealing with the things that scare us, but we can understand in our faith tradition that those people who have died were at one time real people on this earth and now are real people in a spiritual realm, uh, but still very much alive and very much um, conscious. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I love this idea of All Hallows Eve being an opportunity and a time to connect with our dead, which is something we we really do if i mean if we're regular temple worshipers and you know we do that regularly throughout the year but this is kind of a special an extra special time right um so how did we you know how did you celebrate halloween as a child kathy um well as a child i I liked doing like the costume parades and wearing costumes to school, you know, like we would go from class to class and trick or treat there. And then of course at night we'd go trick or treating in neighborhoods. And I think you and I talked about that. We both did that as kids. Yeah. The, the costume parades, wearing the costume to school, the trick or treating, those were what Halloween was about when I was a kid in, in here in America, prior to the two world wars, you know, during the roaring twenties and all that, 
uh, Halloween was more of an adult holiday. There were costume parties. There were nuts and apples, um, you know, caramel apples, pumpkin, carved pumpkins, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was uh, kind of a festival for adults. Now, as people got really serious about life during those two world wars and times of depression and all of that, they, they didn't want to give up on the holiday entirely, but they didn't feel like celebrating it. And they sent their kids out to do it uh, and, and to give them that. And so, so we'd know we'd, there'd be swarms of kids on every street and adults would be handing out candy. And this is was very common in our era, like in the right. what, 70s, 80s, 90s growing up. Right. Even even the 50s and 60s, I think that was kind of the order of the day. The the kids took over the holiday and kind of made it their own. And and uh, so like the traditions that Kathy and I just described that we grew up with were part of that sort of nostalgia of, of Halloween. Now, I think many of the kids uh, who grew up with Halloween, like we did, uh, liked it. And they were like, well, why should the kids have all the fun? We're going to keep celebrating it even, even after we're too old to go trick-or-treating. And so you have adult costume parties emerging again and, you know, people dressing up. I mean, when I was a mid-single, I every year there was a Halloween costume dance in my mid-singles ward, and it was it was fun. You know, you'd dress up as whatever you wanted to and show up and kind of check out each other's costumes and um, became a conversation piece to talk about. So I think adults now are back into the swing of, you know, yeah, we wanna we want to be included too. We want to have adult costume parties and dinners and things like that um, because it's fun. Right. Um, so what do you think happened to put a damper on the American Halloween nostalgia that we experienced um, all those years? Because it, it seems like there were there's been more of a decline in just being able to like go trick-or-treating and get candy from any old house, you know, and what, what do you think, what happened? Well, you know, all of my preteen years, um, Halloween uh, was, was the traditional way out in the neighborhood and all of that. And, and we started to hear things though in the seventies when I was a kid about razor blades and apples and about poisoned Halloween candy. Now, I want to correct the record a little bit on this because, you know, there were there's an assumption among a lot of people that these poisonings were widespread. In fact, there were only a few cases, three or four, I think. And they were all found, unfortunately, to have been done by members of their own families. They were extreme cases of child abuse. Um and there were a couple of razor blades found in apples. No one ever died because of that. No one ever swallowed one. So when you think of the hundreds of millions of kids who have gone trick-or-treating, the number that came to any harm was very small. And in, in the cases of the poison, you know, that was done by their own parents and people. You know, that, that's a very troubling thing. But 
Well, we wonder also which came first, the rumor or the crime? Exactly. Particularly with the razor blades. I've got to think that, you know, people thought when they heard about those, hey, I know, you know, a few <laughs> sick people. Um, you put the idea out there and it gets created. Right. And and I think in a way now, you know, you look around, our, our neighborhood still has a fair number of trick-or-treaters, but in a lot of neighborhoods I've lived in, you just hardly got anybody to knock on your door on Halloween. And and that's really kind of sad for me, like, because I thought I loved that growing up. And I, I think for the most part, there's trustworthy, good people who just, you know, want to cooperate with the societal ritual that like and give out candy and bless kids lives with like a little treat. Yeah. I mean, I think really, as, as Kathy was mentioning trust, there's something about that that we need. Um, you know, it, it is a tremendously trusting thing uh, to allow your kid to knock on the doors of strangers that they don't know or don't know very well and accept candy from them. And I think it's a trust ritual, you know, it's a societal trust fall, if you will, that we, we've kind of lost and it's too bad because, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of the people who gave out Halloween candy were just trying to bring some joy to some kids. And so, um, you know, we know that there are a lot of good ways to do this. Our, you know, in our ward, as in most wards, probably there's a trunk or treat event so the kids can go around and trick or treat people cars around the church parking lot. And you lot. know people better in a church community than you do randomly on any street anywhere. Right. And, you know, we have a, a pretty good neighborhood here and we know the people that, that live in the other homes. And so the kids can trick or treat around here and they do. Um, I think, you know, it is a time when we have to exercise some precautions to make sure that no sick person does give our kids something that they shouldn't. But we also don't but. want to create the rumors which create the crime. And we don't Absolutely. want to contribute to fear that we know our children are going to get just from life experience. We don't need to give them any more than necessary. I mean, so I think when we can do a little bit of that community trust well and just allow our children to feel safe doing this fun thing, it... I think it can be healthy and good for them. Right. And good for the sense of community in our, in our cities and towns. So um, Jeff, I was thinking maybe we could, so I guess first I want to ask you as the listener, what, um, what do you remember about growing up with Halloween? What are you nostalgic about? What did you like that you did as a kid? And then I want to ask you, if you have children, what have you done with your kids? Because we're now going to talk about a little bit about what we remember doing with our kids before we met, like as single parents right. or even with our previous spouse. Right. Well, yeah, my my kids, by the time I um, became a mid-single, weren't trick-or-treating anymore. Uh, my Now, my son, who um, came home from a mission, he went to an adult costume party one night and I took pictures of him in his costume and sent him to his mom just like I would have if he was little. Uh, so again, adults get, are getting into it. But when they were kids, uh, there were there were some things that we really enjoyed as a family. 
the school put on this amazing Halloween carnival. I don't believe they do it anymore, but, but for most of the years that my kids were young, they put on this, you know, there were games and prizes and you could go into the cafeteria and get a hot dog and some hot cider and chat with the other parents. You know, it was just fun. Like the whole community would come out to it. Um, and, and you, you remember know, at that event, them playing the monster mash. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, there would be one big classroom that they would clear out all the chairs and the kids would, you know, do cakewalks for, uh, for cakes, uh, to the monster mash. And so lately he's been and, asking Google to play the monster mash in our home this right. October. <laughs> Just cause it reminds me of when my kids were little and some happy times. I mean, one of my favorite photos of my family from that period was at the Halloween carnival and I'm wearing a big mad hatter hat, you know, and, and, uh, the kids are of course dressed up in their costumes. And so, so there's a certain amount of nostalgia for that. Um, also, uh, we lived in Whatcom County, Washington at that time. And, and the largest city in that County is called Bellingham. Well, in, in downtown Bellingham, I had an office the whole time I lived up there. And the businesses in that downtown district would all put out candy on Halloween uh, night right after the business day ended. And so my former wife would bring, would bring the kids into town and we would go trick-or-treating for an hour or so. Uh, and it was really fun for the kids because number one, the, the businesses, of course, were, were trusted. And then secondly, uh, they could get a lot of candy fast because, you know, door to door, there wasn't as much space between doors. So they could go from one business to the next pretty quick and pick up a lot of goodies. And, and they were usually a cut above the other Halloween candy mm -hmm. that you could get going around the neighborhood. So that was another fun thing we did with them that we felt good about, you know, it being safe and all the rest of it. Well, and it's interesting because in comparing notes with what we did with our kids before we knew each other, I used to take my kids to the mall trick-or-treating from store to store. And it was right. kind of the same idea. And what's fun is that uh, my first child was born just a couple days before Halloween. And so the next year when he was just one years old, We'd, we took him in his little stroller from store to store at the, the, the mall. And his first word wasn't really completely perceptible, but you knew what he was saying. Like, it was more like a, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so his first word was thank you. And it was at Halloween time when, when all these people just gave him candy. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Right. And they all thought that was the most adorable thing this cute little pumpkin in a stroller was saying. Right. <laughs> um, so I have a, a fond memory of that. Um, also, because he's a almost Halloween baby, we when he was tiny, teeny, I put him in a little cauldron and I put him in a little pumpkin and like took pictures and he was screaming his head off and he was not having it. But like, I just wanted to show him how tiny he was when he <laughs> was so little. Um, and my because my parents had done that with me. So right. Uh, it was kind of a, a generational, um, you know, picture event. <laughs> right. And um, and then uh, 
for his birthday for lots of years, I made him pumpkin. Like the, it, it had this cream cheese frosting. They were pumpkin, pickety place pumpkin squares is what I called them. And he loved them so much. I made them every year for his birthday. Uh, I think he switched, he has since switched to pumpkin cheesecake, but for him, it's kind of a pumpkin birthday treat usually. Um, and then we did a free hayride every year to pick a free pumpkin since the time he was born. So, I mean, when he was just tiny, teeny, all the way up, and that was a really fun tradition for us. Um, and then when my kids got into school and I would sign up to help with their Halloween classes, um, one year, actually a couple years in a row, I did what was called, what I called the ghost of good enough. And I'll, um, I'll explain that, what that means. So really this craft was just taking a dumb, dumb sucker, putting a tissue over its head and tying it with an orange ribbon and putting two dots and a smiley face. Now I had intended to do something more elaborate, but I, as a single mom, I just did not have time to do more than that. And I was running around that day and I showed up with that box of tissues, that bag of dum-dums and some, some string or ribbon or whatever. And I asked the teacher for some black mar magic marker. And I remember just this flood of insight coming to my mind that look how much fun these kids had. And it was very little effort on my part. It wasn't elaborate and it was a great time. Right. And so I, I used actually this, what I call this ghost of good enough as a symbol each year. I keep it in my Halloween decorations and every year I pull it out, it reminds me to continue moving through life, showing up and doing the best I can and letting it be good enough. Yeah. Sometimes the quest for, per for perfect can be the enemy of the quest for good enough. And, uh, and we need to be careful about that. I also keep a copy of that photo on my phone. A photo of my ghost. A photo enough. of her ghost, <laughs> which she sent to me in 2016 when we were dating uh, the first time around. And uh, she told me that story in, in text form. And I thought it was a cool thing to remember. So I, I downloaded the picture and kept it. Um, now, if we want to talk about uh, Halloween, again, I think there is a dark side that some people choose to go to. Um, or to fight against. And don't get us wrong. We're not recommending that anyone go out and worship the devil. Or Oh, no. I heard a story from one of my religion professors at BYU that a couple of kids in what used to be Deseret Towers had... Uh, you know, said to each other, let's go down to the basement, turn off the lights and pray to the devil. And they, they had a very troubling experience. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, that can lead to really, truly devastating spiritually, uh, I guess, destructive experiences. Right. We, so we don't want to encourage that. I wouldn't let my kids dress up as the devil for Halloween, you know, um, just because there's a line I wouldn't cross there. But but I think we can let our kids have fun and we can know the origins of the holiday are not satanic. Uh, they're 
about the changing of the seasons and about uh, connecting with the spirits of, of our our progenitors. And no so. matter how we see the origins, and, and Jeff illuminated a lot of that for us today, uh, we also have the opportunity always to decide how we're going to celebrate or not every holiday. And we would just encourage people to consider all of the good things that can be considered. Right. Uh, you know, I'd like to fast forward from that ghost of good enough in 2016 to when we got married. And that first year we were married, my <laughs> son dressed up as a lawyer and handed out Jeff's business cards and pretended to be him. He wore a suit with a tie dyed shirt. And I didn't have the heart to tell him I'd never worn tie dyed a court. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess but... he, he, so he got his first suit like given to him. And it was such a nice suit, but he thought that it was ridiculous that he should have to wear any such thing to church ever. <laughs> and so he was kind of, I think, mocking the idea of wearing such a thing to church to wear it to, you know, a costume, you know, a costumed Halloween event to trick or treat. Like, and again, he, he dressed it down with the tight dye shirt, which really like fits his personality. As, as he, uh, <laughs> as he, roamed the neighborhood trick-or-treating, he handed out my business cards to the people giving him candy. Oh, and he was already negotiating with Jeff on the idea that if it brought him business, he would get a cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was 11 at this time. So yeah, that was maybe fun. he had just turned 12. But anyway. I think you felt flattered that he imitated you. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I look at pictures of that Halloween and I'm standing next to him and he's like two feet shorter than me or something. And of course, now he's taller than me. And he so. just shot up so fast. Huh? Yeah, that that was in no time at all for four years. Yeah. But anyway, so that was kind of a fun memory for us as a newlywed couple. Right. Um, so uh, since then, we've had fun watching nostalgic family Halloween movies, popping popcorn, nestling in for some big screen entertainment, you know, with, you know, the nice family friendly movies um, that they have on Disney plus and things like that. Um, I'm, I'm obviously I'm not saying that everything on every, you know, not obviously not everything on Netflix or Disney plus is obvious automatically family friendly, but we, you know, we try to choose those ones that are not um, discouraging to the spirit. Right. Um, they're just fun. And, you know, to be honest, in recent years, I'm usually too busy to park car pumpkins. I just, it's, I don't prioritize it. Um, but we do usually um, pick a pumpkin and put it on our porch and, and decorate the house. And um, I, I know there were some years we did take the time to carve pumpkins and that was really fun. Yeah. Um, oh, we've done some chili contests. That's true. With, like our wards and our ward carnivals are actually pretty fun. Like with a lot yeah. of the stuff that you were saying. Uh, yeah, so, they've done a good job in past years on that. You know, I, I just want to mention um, as we wrap up this podcast that our Lily letter that comes out every um, Tuesday to our subscribers, which you can subscribe at loveandlateryears.com, uh, we have our, our uh, the title is just Happy Halloween. Um, but it, it it's more, uh, I guess, more... It, it's somewhat lighthearted, but it's also sincere 
in, you know, wishing you not only a happy Halloween, but a spiritual Halloween, like, you know, right. what we've been talking about on the podcast. And also uh, the video that we have associated with that, this podcast and that letter um, on LilyTube, our YouTube channel is, it poses the question, is Halloween an evil holiday? And we, we go over some different things in that one. So you might want to check that out. Um, but we want to conclude with something really special that happened this year and something I think we're going to really treasure in our hearts and in our memories about this October. Right. Well, we did my son Henry's temple work. As, as some of you know, in late August, he was killed uh, in a climbing accident. And uh, the, the first <clears throat> Saturday that was available after he'd been gone for 30 days, which uh, right now is currently the the, the only time passing. limit on yeah. doing um, work for those who have passed on. It's 30 days right. now. So the first Saturday when we had an opportunity to, to do that after he had been gone 30 days was October 8th. And uh, that coincidentally was was uh, this, the, the 29th anniversary of my little brother's death. Um, I and kind of when hope. he says co coincidentally, he means they coincided. Right. But of course, we don't think it's coincidence. We we believe those are all tender mercies divinely orchestrated. Yeah, and I I hope my little brother was one of the people that greeted him when he crossed over. I mean, I won't know of that for a while for sure. But I I think uh, again, this is a time when we can remember uh, our dead in a, in a good way and, and not in a scary, you know, I'm going to haunt you kind of way in a, I'm grateful for everything you left to me and did for me and our family, you know, before I was born on this earth. Yes. And, uh, we would encourage you, um, if you enjoy doing proxy work in the temple to make a special effort to relate with and commune with those you have loved who have passed on when you're there and to even connect with those proxy names that you either get from the temple or that you bring in from your own ancestry line. Um, that can be a really um, beautiful way to celebrate All Hallows' Eve with a healthy dose of spirituality. Right. And maybe it makes the holiday just a tad less scary if, maybe even beautiful. Yeah, if you're celebrating the lives of those who have gone to the other side before us. Yeah, and I think that's really great to have that history in our minds that, you know, people who've lived on this earth have this need to connect with their ancestors, this desire to connect with those who have come before and to honor them as we would want to be honored with our memories. Right. So this Halloween, be good, be responsible, uh, and have some lighthearted fun as well as maybe some wholesome spiritual contemplation uh, about the spirit of Elijah and things like that. And remember, anytime, including Halloween, is a great time for more love in your life. Subscribe to LilyPod 
get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.